Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool and advisor on The Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. Get some. Absolutely. Hi, everybody. Thanksgiving is just a couple days away, and today we're going to talk about a few things that you should be thankful for, because the truth is we are living in the greatest period in world history. You don't believe me? Well, stick around, Grumpus, because we're going to give you something to feel thankful for. Gobble, gobble, yo! My mom would be so excited to know that we are having this episode, because like I've said in the past, every Thanksgiving we have to get together and hold hands and go around the circle and say what we're thankful for. So guess what? That's what we're going to do today. But it's going to be it's going to be a fun conversation as to opposed to how grueling it is over our Thanksgiving table. Right. So if, if you do this at your Thanksgiving table, we're going to give you things to be thankful for. You don't even have to come up with something. We're going to tell you what to be thankful for today. Factually based, statistically significant things to be thankful for. That's right, because we found them on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it's true. Absolutely. What's the first thing you should be thankful for? I am thankful that we all have a higher standard of living. And uh, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the median household income. Adjusted for inflation back in the 1950s, it was about $25,000 per household. Nowadays, it is more than twice that. Um, and so, what have we done with all that money? Well, a lot of the things around us are a lot, bu- a lot better, if not a lot bigger. So, for example, uh, over the last 25 years, the average home has gotten 34% bigger. Um, in 1973, of new homes, only about 23% had four bedrooms. Now, almost half of new homes have four bedrooms. Wow. Um, we still only have two. <laughs> in 1973, only about a little more than half of homes had more than one and a half bathrooms. Now, almost all new homes have more than one and a half bathrooms. We only have one bathroom. <laughs> You're living in the 50s. I'm bringing the numbers down. <laughs> Our house was built in the 40s, so yeah. Well, I think about like my. My mom grew up in a farm outside of Cincinnati, three-bedroom home, six people in the family. She shared a room with her sister her whole life. My uncles shared a room their whole lives. The whole idea of I'm mean, sharing a room nowadays, well, I don't know when kids actually do that. But um, so we're all very fortunate. Uh, when you look at the size of things too, uh, the average refrigerator nowadays is more than twice as big as it was in 1950. So, also according to the Census Bureau, only one in ten American homes had air conditioning back in 1960. Nowadays, it's closer to 90 percent, and most of the people who don't live in colder climates. Um, so, I, I know that a lot of people don't have all these things that I pointed out, but the fact is, the average family is making more money. So, if you're not spending that on the bigger house or the bigger refrigerator, you're probably spending it on something else that people didn't have just 40, 50 years ago. I I am thankful. Well, I'm going to be a Debbie. This one's going to be a Debbie Downer one, but I am thankful that the nation is a safer place for my child than it was when I was a kid. Do you want to hear some mind blowing statistics about crime in this I would, country? I would love to. Love to. <laughs> so, all right. In the past 25 years, crime has receded. In fact, it is half of what it was when it peaked in 91. Violent crime has plummeted 51%. Property crime has fallen 43%. Homicides are down 54%. In 1985, there were 1,384 murders in New York City, and last year there were only 333. That's, That's all amazing. according to the new, um, NYU Brennan Center. And I'm going to guess, and you might have your own theories, that part of this is an offshoot of what I just said, and that is people are generally better off financially, so there might be less temptation for crime. But so, you had an, your own theories that you researched. No, I don't have my own theories. So. 
the, this study actually was a, was looking into well why is crime down and so because some people say crime is down because of increased incarceration um, if you've read Freakonomics they'll tell you crime is down because of legalization of abortion um, so, here's an interesting one I didn't I just learned about is that some people have theories that crime is down I make it sound like these these are like wackos like the, some people have theories but these are studies these are studies from like reputable organizations. Um, that say that the deleadening of of gasoline, so we went f- from having regular gas to unleaded gas, um, actually had a big impact on crime because it meant that fewer kids were getting exposed to lead and getting less lead poisoning. And so, I mean, that's an interesting one. Um, but the three main ones are, like you said, growth and income. Uh, the other one is smarter policing tactics and changes in alcohol consumption. But there's no like one major factor that is has led to it. But those are kind of the three big ones. Well, regardless, I'm thankful for it. I am too. I'm really thankful for it. Crime, crime against children is also down, which is awesome. Yeah. Since I have a child. <laughs> so yay! It's a safer place to live. Like I feel like people often put on these rose-colored glasses, thinking about oh, what what life was like when they were growing up. But whenever you watch movies about like New York City in the 80s or the 70s. Man, that looked like a horrible place to live. <laughs> it was pretty scary. Pretty scary. Right. Right. Yay. All right. What's the next thing you want to be thankful for? I am thankful that we are among the 1%. And when I'm talking about we, I'm saying you, me, and probably most of our listeners. And that is because, according to a book called The Haves and the Haves Nots by Branko Milanovic, an economist with the World Bank, you need an annual income of $34,000 a year to be in the richest 1% in the world. Of the world. In wow. the world. Wow. Yep. Wow. If you have uh, the average is around one thousand two hundred twenty-five. So if you make more than twelve twenty-five a year, you're in the top half percent. Um, if you're making seventy thousand dollars, you're actually in the top point one percent of the world. Um, and of course, you have to adjust that for you know inflation and things like that. You may have more money, but things are cheaper in other countries. But you, if you have traveled. Um, Anywhere, even into developed countries, you know that here we here in America have a lot of things that we take for granted. And then you go to other parts of the world where you cannot rely on the electricity to work or the roads to be in decent shape. There's so much that comes from living in a prosperous society that we just all benefit from libraries, things like that. That um, when you look at that, there's actually a, a website called the Global Rich List um, provided by CARE, the charity. You put in your income. And it tells you where you stand uh, relative to everyone else in the world and also your wealth. If you put in how much your net worth is, how you stand relative to everyone else in the world. It's very interesting. I'll have to go do that. That does sound very interesting. Suddenly I'm feeling very wealthy, even though I only have a two-bedroom, one-bath house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, sir, am thankful for modern medicine. Who wants to hear some stats about infant mortality rates? Hey, look, everyone in the studio is raising his hand. <laughs> this is so, here we go. Are you ready? In the 1850s, one in five babies in America didn't survive infancy. And that's if you were lucky to be born into a white household. For African Americans, it was closer to one in three infants did not survive. In fact, infant mortality rate in the nation has declined 93%. So that's just that's just modern medicine getting you through the first year. <laughs> then, that's amazing, actually. It's it really amazing. Is astounding. But if you look at how like death rates from strokes has declined seventy five percent since the sixties, 
heart attacks have plummeted, um, heart disease, antibiotics, anesthesia, soap, not pooping in the river when you drink the water. <laughs> All of these things I gave that up are years ago. awesome and the result of modern medicine. It's great. Yeah. Actually, when, when my uh, family and I were in Paris a couple summers ago, uh, you can actually take a tour of the sewers of Paris, which does not sound very pleasant, and it smells as good as you would think. But it was very educational, and when you learn about like just the whole concept of sanitation and how that changes a society's health status, it is amazing. And that we have these things, these sewers, and these whole systems, and it just kind of all happens. It's quite incredible. It's amazing. Like running water. Running water is amazing. I when I wake up, I can just go and like turn a faucet. I don't have to put shoes on, go outside, and start working a pump. Right. It's fantastic. <laughs> and not only are there these the reductions in the various diseases and things that you put in, but when you do have something, it's so much more pleasant. So as we may remember, I had my gallbladder removed uh, a few weeks ago, and I it was I was in and out of the hospital in two days. My dad had it done, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. He was in the hospital for a week. It's so much easier now to do that because in, in the, my situation, they only have to put a few holes in you and then they stick in a camera and they get to do everything like that. Whereas 10, 20 years ago, they would have to slice you open to take care of things. So of the diseases and problems you have, it's much easier to take care of them. And just think, 200 years ago, you just would have fallen over and died. I think about that, too. Behind your plow. I'm like, actually, that would have been it. I'm reading one of my kids' books. It's basically how famous people died, and it's written for kids. And, of course, oh. tried to get kids to read because kids love reading this stuff. But I'm a big kid at heart, so I'm reading this book. And this, you know, the, just the everyday stuff that people died from 200, 300 years ago, we're, we really are very fortunate. Yeah. Oh. Epidurals. Epidurals! <laughs> They're amazing! Oh, I love modern medicine. I love it. And now you guys can go back to complaining about Obamacare, but seriously, <laughs> modern medicine is great. All right, what else are you thankful for? Well, as you have pointed out, I am the senior advisor for the Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement Service, and retirement is all about leisure time, and it turns out that we have a lot more of it. So I am thankful for all our free time. So according to the Federal Reserve, the number of lifetime years spent in leisure, that's retirement plus time just off during your working years. You just had 11 years of that in 1870, and it's risen to 35 years by 1990. It's probably closer to, if not over 40 by now. And you think about the average person lives into their 80s, you're talking about maybe almost half their life spent in leisure. The weekends, hanging out at night, being retired. A um, couple of stats off Wikipedia here. Uh, it was actually, <laughs> it wasn't until 1908 that a company, New England Cotton, instituted a five-day work week. Um, and it wasn't until in, in 1929, the Amalgamated Clothing Workers of America Union fought for the five-day work week and got it. And it wasn't until 1938 that that became uh, a part of our federal laws. So when you think about that, just the whole concept of a five-day work week is, is less than 100 years old. We have our weekends. We have retirement. Um, I just think it's great. And the, the freedom, you have all that free time, and then you have more resources, resources to do something with it. It's quite amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. Can you imagine? Like, Because it used to be you would work you know, maybe 10 hours a day, six days a week, and then Sunday you had to go to church for most of it. So you're not getting... 
which is nothing wrong with that. That's fine. You can go to church if you want. But like that leaves you maybe four hours on a Sunday. Right. In fact, it was it was you basically worked every day until religions became more prevalent and the whole idea of the Sabbath um, was more prevalent that they were like, okay, so one day you don't have to work so you can observe the Sabbath. And then the two day work weekend really began because of the different Sabbaths, Saturday for some religions, Sunday for other religions. So thank you, organized religion and organized labor for the weekend. Um, but it is quite amazing. Like back in 1900, most men who made it to 65 were still working. Now it's a little over 20%. And we're living longer. Mm-hmm. And you think of your, you're working for 40 years of your life and then being retired for probably 20 or more. That's quite something. And to think that a lot of people used to just die before they even had a chance to retire. That's true. Their gallbladder, the gallbladder got them. (laughs) They wouldn't even know. They would have just been like, oh, mysterious humors in the body. We tried to bleed him and it didn't work. Uh, We didn't sacrifice enough goats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd sacrifice a goat to save your life. Thank you. Thank you. My gallbladder's worth it wherever it is now. So the last thing that I'm thankful for is airplanes, iPhones, and all of my computers. Technology! Technology! Like podcasts, for example. Like podcasts, for example. All right, here's something crazy. In 1800, uh, railroads, great, awesome, were around. It took a whole day to barely get outside of New York City. It took two weeks to reach Georgia or Ohio. And in five weeks, you would just barely get to Illinois and Louisiana. That's quite something. And 30 years later, it would take six weeks to get to Seattle. I'm going to have a layover in Seattle in a few weeks, and it's going to take a five-hour flight to get there, not six weeks. And and when you talk about that, people are like, wow, that's a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long flight. Five hours, wow. I'm already, like trying to plan how am i going to keep my toddler entertained right. on a five hour flight I let bet, alone i bet technology will be the solution it will be yeah. it, it <laughs> an ipad or yes. something watch this watch more dora <laughs> um so and then let's move on to my iphone which i'm excited about my iphone holds right now at this moment 1547 photos and videos mostly of that aforementioned toddler <laughs> uh from the ages of about 18 months to today from my childhood, there may be 10 photos of me as a toddler. And I was a cute kid. Oh, I'm sure you were. So I'm very thankful that I have all of these videos and photos of my daughter to keep me warm when she is a brutal teenager. <laughs> so, And all the other things an iPhone can do. Like, I'm never going to get lost so long as I have a cell phone service. Yeah, GPS is amazing. I would tell you, if you want to appreciate something, lose it for like a week or a day. When I, my iPhone got stolen earlier this year. I was I was I was lost. And it's pathetic. You know, the iPhone's only been around since 2007. It's not like the TV where you know it's been for, around for decades. How we've managed to make these things such important parts of our lives is amazing. It's not pathetic. It's by design. It it's is. solving problems we had. You shouldn't that's, feel guilty about well, it. Well, that's true. I think but you know what is interesting. If you like put your phone away for a few days, you'll find how much time you sat around looking at things that you probably it wasn't all that productive. You know, whatever Facebook or whatever thing that you did, and you were like, "Don't judge me. Don't you're judging me right now." No, I like your Facebook posts. You know, I do it. So, (laughs) 
you know, you, you lose like air conditioning. Our air conditioning was out because of electricity went out in our neighborhood two summers ago. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you want to learn to appreciate your air conditioning. Lose it in the middle of the summer for yeah. a little bit. Modern technology. Yeah. All right, and then moving on to computers. Here's something. Here's a fun, fun little stat. In 1979. Uh, this magazine published an article about computers, the future of computers. And it said, a recent IBM study, so this was recent in 1979, concludes that major corporations pay $6.41 to create, type, revise, and mail a one-page letter. So adjusted for inflation, that's about $21. Wow. Computers are great. I've sent out probably two dozen emails this morning. All delightful and witty and productive. As a recipient of three fourths of those, I agree. You were, <laughs> you were a recipient of most of them. But computers, yay. I don't know. Like, do I need to say this? Technology is amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was telling my kids the other day how, whenever I had to do a research paper, I had to go into my sister's room because that's where we kept the encyclopedia, all 25 volumes <laughs> or whatever. And that was it. I mean, if, 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 if you couldn't run to the library, that was your source of information if you had to write a paper. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being young and, the li- and forgetting that I had to write a paper. The library was closed because it was like a Sunday or something. So I actually had to go to Barnes & Noble to research a paper and just like go through books that I was never going to buy. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the last thing I want to talk about, and you touched on this too. And Thanksgiving is an American holiday, so I'm just going to go all jingo on you guys and say that I am thankful for America. I'm thankful to be born in America and raised in America and have all the opportunities. Did you know that only 4% of humans get to say that they live in America? I didn't know that, but I totally agree with everything you said. I mean, think about it. Opportunity. Wealth. Access to great restaurants, if I want it. Um, we've already talked about how I tear up really easily. I cry. I cry at ball games during the national anthem. That's how much I love. Yeah, I feel living in way. America. And other countries are great. I love Japan. You're you're awesome too. I would love to live in Japan. But in the words of the guy from the beginning of The Godfather, I believe in America. It's a great place. Thanks, America. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. This has been a bit of a self-indulgent episode, but hopefully you guys found it helpful to um, pause and reflect on all the things that are awesome in your life, even the little things that we take for granted. This is a really great time to be alive. Not just like that right this second, but just in general in the world. It's a really great time to be alive. Don't you think? I agree. All right, if you're looking for some more reasons to feel thankful then you're going to want to check out Morgan Housel's article, 50 Reasons We're Living Through the Greatest Period in World History. That's where we got the inspiration for today's episode. So thanks to Morgan for the inspiration. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. The show is edited. Just like Honestly, Rick, you do a really great job of editing the we show. Really are. And I just want to pause and thank you for doing that, because our listeners don't understand how brutal it is to edit us. Every time you listen to a podcast, folks, you only hear about a third of what we say. The other two thirds are horrible, and Rick thankfully edits them out. So, thank you, Rick. You're the best. All right. And you're the best, too, listeners. We love you. Thank you for all the kind feedback you've sent us over the last year, because we're coming up on our anniversary here pretty soon. All right. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, all. Thanks, all.